Welcome to the African Intel Affairs podcast series. Surveillance, a very well-known feature of intelligence tradecraft. In this episode, we direct our conversation to the ethical and legal parameters for mass surveillance in South Africa, mainly focusing on the use of CCTV by the state, corporates, and individuals, but also extend our discussion to other African countries where CCTV surveillance is not regulated. And for this, we're joined by Mr. Dumisani Gandhi, an expert in media and communication studies who is currently a PhD candidate at the Center for Human Rights in Pretoria, where he's exploring the relationship between new technologies and more accountable policing. His research interests span interdisciplinary perspectives on human development, human rights, governance, and the role of technology in society. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are his own and do not in any way represent the view of the Center for Human Rights nor the University of Pretoria. I've been very interested to hear, you know, on the balance between security objectives and the right to privacy, um, especially when it comes to CCTV mass surveillance. Now, you've written on the topic quite extensively in a policy brief, which was three years ago. And I think that one of the most important things is really to discuss from a conceptual standpoint about how to strike that balance, uh, because we understand the security objectives of a police force uh, in implementing mass CCTV surveillance. And there's many surveillance states such as the United Kingdom, the United States of America, China, who also have these protocols and how they justify this to their citizenry is one question or the other of where there is an abuse or not an abuse. But then also there's this aspect of the private sector as well, where private security contractors or even private individuals uh, seeking to secure their homes um, or to monitor ac- activities in different and uh, in various domains. So um, I would like to hear what you have to say on this conceptually, especially for African countries and South Africa, which has been developing some legal architecture to cater to and to, con- and to control this uh, uh, surveillance industry. I think if, if, if we look at it from a conceptual perspective, mm-hmm. um, it, it's the most difficult um, burden to uh, to put a line on it because this is about, you know, when you use the term like uh, balance, it means uh, probably there's a, a precise point where you say, okay, um, on this line, a balance between uh, security and, and, and privacy um, should be on this line. Um, and, and, and that's really difficult because both concepts, security and privacy, um, and are not the easiest to determine because they are context dependent. Um, and even within the same country, uh, it might be that at a certain point, the balance between security and privacy is tilted more towards one or the other, mainly uh, security because uh, uh, privacy, you never know when you are being uh, left alone or when someone is not uh, monitoring you. But let's say there's been, you know, several terrorist attacks and uh, there is intelligence that, you know, more attacks are planned. So that, pal- that balance shifts, you know, like a pendulum, depending on context. So uh, there is no one uh, balance. Uh, every society, I think, and every context uh, has its own 
balance at a specific time. I think in South Africa, I mean, the, the most recent intelligence um, issue that came up is after the demonstration, um, you know, immediately after the, the, the incarceration of former President Jacob Zuma. Uh, society, uh, advocates, campaigners came out, you know, claiming the government, in particular, uh, the intelligence sector, for failing to predict or to get intelligence that, you know, uh, violence would happen um, at a scale that it happened, you know, in the way more than 300 people who lost their lives. So um, at that moment in time, I think uh, people expected that the balance should be more on, you know, investing surveillance in order to prevent, and, and, and that's the challenge uh, that you always have. But what security and privacy share in common, what triggers discussions of this balance is when there is a risk. Oh, why, 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 what, what, what risk is there? Uh, risk to security and risk. Um, normally, risk to security also creates a risk to privacy. And the public and policymakers both want that risk to go. Uh, uh, but if you try to, uh, if, if you use these invasive surveillance uh, tactics, you are also attacking privacy, which is, you know, upheld as a right, you know, in, in democratic society, if you take it from a definition from a, a legal perspective. But also, you know, there's social security uh, implications. You know, if you define the word security from the different ontological and epistemological, um, um, uh, uh, you know, views that it is defining. So it, it it's always going to be debatable and, uh, and controversial. So there's no clear line. Um, every society at one point, in, at, at one particular time, will have this balance uh, moving around. The difficult thing is getting uh, transparency about why this balance is moving, because uh, people want accountability after decisions that have been made. Like, you know, now we are surveilling your emails, your um, social media, we are wiretapping you, we are in over wiretapping a certain specific group of people. Um, there needs to be transparency because these are powers which are granted to government by law, for instance, uh, which can be abused uh, in different contexts. Uh, so you need accountability after what was done. Uh, who did it? Who made the decisions? What processes uh, were taken to ensure that you know those decisions were within the law because the law comes in. But it, uh, um, any such surveillance must be must be reasonable. It must be justifiable uh, uh, in a democracy uh, because that right to privacy is not you know, absolute. So it's all these things that come up. So I don't think you can put a finger and say, okay, this is where the balance. I think this is a, a dynamic process about which I think best practice is to be transparent and accountable. Unfortunately, this happened after the fact. Because if you are talking about intelligence, you can't say now um, so and so is under surveillance because then you know uh, you alert them and the whole idea behind surveilling them becomes you know nonsense. So that's my my basic take about what is really a difficult question to, to draw a line on and say you know this is where the balance is. So you see, um, let's press uh, particularly on that because uh, um, you've just highlighted the fact that um, there is this aspect of 
of a necessity for it to be a covert action in order for surveillance to achieve its objective, which is to monitor someone without their knowledge or perhaps to conduct general monitoring, whereas people may have been prior informed, they may not have it, uh, they may subconsciously um, recall it, but not very consciously recognize it in the moment there and then. Um, what then can be said, especially operationally, um, because the premise of surveillance is, is COVID action and uh, is actually based on not being transparent about whether you're watched or not. Surveillance cameras are really, really very visible, apart from um, certain urban policing initiatives, which have to do with monitoring speed limits. And then there's a big sign saying that this area is under CCTV surveillance for speeding and et cetera, et cetera. That's different. Whereas even in stores right now, the way that uh, surveillance cameras are situated, yes, it's to have a vantage point, but uh, also uh, there is a degree of concealment. And uh, uh, in many cases, you may not be prior inf informed. So this aspect of it being covert and how it can then relate to transparency is also something that um, I think needs to be elaborated on a little bit more. How do we negotiate the very fact that the premise of um, surveillance activities is steeped in 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 concealing the uh, the 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 performance of the act but then also um graduate to being transparent because you said that you can be transparent afterwards but then what is to limit somebody from making an account afterwards and then being prosecuted for that but the violation continues to occur with people knowing that they'll pay the price for it afterwards um are there any measures that should be taken prior to that? And especially since, um, especially since you've been um, writing about the Protection of Information Act in South Africa, is there any sort of provision for for that kind of scenario where you try and preemptively deal with uh, that transparency issue? Okay, I think I think I, I need to take a, um, a step back. Uh, you know, there is a covert surveillance uh, which is governed by uh, different rules to covert. Uh, surveillance. Uh, although, you know, uh, they might overlap, but uh, uh, covert surveillance um, is where you are, um, you know, surveilling or monitoring or following uh, an individual or a group of people uh, without uh, their knowledge. So it's a, um, um, uh, this is the more, I think, in my commentary, uh, one that I was referring to. Uh, you know, surveillance always invokes a sense of you know cynicism uh, that someone is monitoring without monitoring without your knowledge of it whereas um, um, overt surveillance is more uh, the deterrence type uh, where you are trying to prevent uh, certain activities um, that are asocial you know like uh, you know, violence or stealing and so on um, and and because it's overt uh, it for you to prevent you have the, the person, uh, the persons who are being monitored uh, should know that they are being, uh, you know, uh, surveilled through, you know, cameras. So if we are talking about CCTV or if we are talking about uh, board-on cameras. Uh, so that, that is governed by different rules. For it to work, uh, people need to know. So um, in the UK, for instance, you know, there are certain conditions that are put in place that, you know, you put up all those signs that say this area is the under surveillance. If it's a shop, 
you know, you just write that, you know, this shop is monitored uh, through surveillance. So people go in knowing that, you know, whatever it is that they do, uh, there's probably a camera uh, that's there. You know, I often have this problem because I'm studying this area. When I get to a place, um, I'm sure people who are in the control rooms can see that I'm looking at where the camera is. I even know where they uh, have an idea as soon as I get into a shop that, you know, if there's a camera in this shop, it's most likely to be there and so on and so on. So uh, those are governed by different rules. Although, of course, you know, even with covert surveillance, um, if, if you are caught in the act of doing something that um, against the law or antisocial, uh, you then can be identified using that uh, surveillance uh, technology. So those are sort of two different things. But, you know, those who do covert surveillance, uh, let's say they've been following you, uh, and you're walking on the street, you know, just like uh, I think it's the Boston Gomer, uh, when uh, CCTV was being used to, to show that, you know, that, that bomber um, had moved through this space and then until they managed to isolate um, the area in which he was in. So you combine uh, the two. So there are those rules that, you know, uh, the data subject, uh, which is what the Poppy Act is talking about, for, for, uh, uh, if, if it's in relation to CCTV, that, you know, the person who is being monitored must know who, who, that they are being monitored, one, secondly, that who is monitoring. Uh, and also there should be mechanisms for, uh, you know, accessing information about what the information is going to be used for uh, when they've been monitored, how long it's going to be kept, and all those things. Uh, so that, you know, if you want to exercise your rights, whether against that act or other rights that you want to um, uh, to, to access, you can also use that information. But it's different from uh, covert, covert surveillance where uh, you, you don't know. Uh, and this is where I'm saying, you know, uh, for, for covert um, surveillance, I think uh, a transparency and accountability after the fact uh, uh, it is something that reassures the public that you know their uh, right to privacy uh, is uh, uh, is being respected. Although uh, certain circumstances necessitate that it should be uh, curtailed. So, um, so those are, are, are two different things uh, from my perspective. Okay, so. Um... To zone in onto the uh, Protection of Personal Information Act, uh, three years ago, you wrote about how there was a problem of implementation, and I just wanted—I just wanted to know that, having described everything that you've described about this this need to inform um, prior to initiating um, surveillance, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that how far is the progress on this particular aspect of implementation of this legal infrastructure and the actual practice of uh, uh, this accountability and transparency in terms of people who are uh, employing um, a CCTV surveillance uh, technologies? Well, it's a matter that, as you know, that most of the outstanding uh, sections of that uh, piece of legislation, the, the, the Copy Act, uh, came into force in, in, in July of this year. Uh, which means, you know, according to the original plan, by that time, everyone uh, should have complied. Uh, everyone who is a responsible party, you know, people who are collecting uh, information and who are storing that information and who are likely to process it, uh, was supposed to comply uh, with that law. Uh, but uh, as you may know, around June, uh, when it was evident, some, some aspects of the law would be difficult to comply with uh, by the deadline. 
uh, you know, there was a flurry of, um, of uh, uh, communication from the information regulator to, to extend some of the deadlines. Uh, it's difficult at the moment. Uh, I'm sure there are other people who are on top of this. For me to uh, describe uh, or to have a, a, a good assessment of how it is uh, impacted uh, different uh, sectors in terms of uh, how to comply with it, um, uh, especially CCTV. But you know, if you look at the uh, the requirements of the law itself, um, I think those those questions that we raised uh, are still important. Uh, I think what we may not have um, uh, anticipated is that you know uh, the law itself by requiring um, you know companies and individuals or just responsible parties uh, to comply with it. Um, actually, uh, it, it's like the regulations uh, themselves, where people have to knuckle down, reposition, uh, you know, do impact assessment of their employees in respect to employees and clients from outside in terms of how that law would impact them, and then uh, come up with policies and strategies, as well as coming up with the, um, you know, information officers and deputy information officers. All of that work uh, sort of uh, sort of pushes uh, uh, individuals and you know uh, companies or organizing the public and private bodies to to comply with the law. But still, uh, there's a lot because I think they failed to meet some of those deadlines, and uh, some of them have been extended without uh, you know even a, a deadline uh, on them because. Um, what might have appeared, I think my sense is that what might have appeared as straightforward in legislation uh, is difficult to implement uh, in practice. And that is often a gap uh, where, you know, uh, if, if there's no deadline to fully comply, you know, you'll be, as a private or public board or individual, you'll just be winning um, um, as you go. But I'm sure the information regulator is on top of this and there will be a point. Uh, when um, everyone has to uh, to comply, uh, it's still difficult to see where the thorny issues are, except in challenges uh, to comply. Uh, the other area is the uh, you know uh, public and private bodies or individual processing responsible parties being asked, um, and some of them requesting for exemptions of certain aspects uh, of the copy act. Uh, maybe they won't be implementing. Some of the eight conditionalities for uh, legal processing of, um, of information, but uh, the information regulator is one that you can't be exempted from uh, all of them. So, uh, it's I think it's the analysis that will come out of all of this that will be uh, interesting, and I, I think it's tantalizing for anyone who wants to do research uh, in that area. Uh, so it's about access to information. I'm sure the information regulator will. We have all you know aggregate information about how the compliance is going, and we'll be able to share that information uh, with, with the public. But I must say, it's been a, to be a culture shock uh, because uh, the consent clause, I think, is section 18 or notification, uh, is is a difficult one. I think from even the smallest thing, like um, I was reading earlier, or is it yesterday, where you know if you have a birthday party uh, for you know for your kid seven years old uh, with their friends from school and everything. Uh, the photos that are taken there, mm -hmm. uh, consent for it to be legal cannot be like, 
you know, uh, writing an email and saying, I, there is writing to parents and saying, you know, I will be taking photographs. Uh, in the, if there is anyone uh, to publish the photos, if anyone is unhappy with that, you know, they can uh, communicate with me. No, uh, it, it won't work like that where you don't have evidence that, you know, uh, consent was given. There has to be something that is legally acceptable uh, for, to show that consent was given. Otherwise, you might find yourself uh, in trouble having to pay fines in enforcement uh, that the information regulator can can impose on you. So, it, you know, for big companies to individual situations, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult uh, piece of uh, cultural adjustment that is required. And I'm wondering, in the monitoring aspects, what will be needed? I think it's about people policing each other. You know, so when your your rights have been violated, you report to the information regulator, and then the investigation starts. I don't think it will be the information regulator, you know, basically policing uh, the whole situation. So, uh, interesting times uh, as the uh, legislation comes into force. Of course, um, of course, of course, when it comes to this particular aspect, and you look at uh, the, the sort of South African crime rate, which has always been a little bit of a, a, a pestering issue. Um, that you begin to see that some of the um, some of the uh, legal and policy prescriptors may be solid, um, especially in terms of people acknowledging uh, what is reasonable or what is justifiable. However, um, the sort of enthusiasm in that aspect also for civilians to report their right being violated um, when the whole public safety aspect seems to be a very, very urgent issue. Um, you've just cited the insurrection, but then we also know of uh, uh, the extensive gangs activities uh, um, in the Western Cape and, and so on and so forth, but also in many metropolitan areas where there's been um, murders, thefts, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I just want to use this to caveat to um, towards this issue where um, the pursuit of public safety and security seems to be running much faster. I know of certain African countries who I won't. Um, name drop in particular who have implemented some quite sophisticated cctv surveillance mechanisms and i think that part of the issue comes with the expectation that uh, um, africa is not uh, um, extremely urban and people expect that um, most cctv surveillance needs um, a very dense concrete jungle in order for it to be implementable but uh, contrary to that uh, Throughout most of the uh, metropolitan cities, there seems to be quite an extensive use of CCTV surveillance, not only by private companies, but of course by um, government agencies in respective areas and so on and so forth. And as a caveat, knowing um, that um, knowing that the conversation is not happening publicly on 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 this emergence of mass on this emergence of mass surveillance. Um, how would you suggest that people could approach um, this particular issue in countries where there is no legis uh, there is no um, there is no legislation to sort of regulate this? Um, because if you're saying that South Africa's um, own uh, um, architectures are only coming into force as of July, which is just last month, then um, that means that those particular countries are big question. Uh, I think uh, uh, privacy. The, 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 the data, personal data aspect of privacy is um, uh, is something uh, newish. I think people don't even uh, think about it in in other societies. Um, but in, in terms of legislation, I think 
there is a good start uh, for areas of logging. I don't think even in in the most and uh, what you would call undemocratic um, uh, societies in Africa, uh, they don't have in their constitution something about the right uh, to privacy. Um, I think uh, for me, and here I'm. Um, I'm, I'm speaking in terms of uh, including just basically my opinion. It's, uh, it's the challenge of uh, literacy around how we use uh, digital tools. I think the assumption is that uh, because I post something on my personal phone without someone seeing or in my own bedroom and on my um, own you know, Twitter and so on, and it, it, there's an element in your brain that plays around with you uh, thinking that you know, it's a secret. Um, also, in terms of seeing uh, uh, CCTV sprouting all over the place, people don't link it, you know, automatically uh, uh, to their privacy, to how it impacts their privacy, because you know, at the back, uh, they don't have this idea of who, who is behind there, watching in a control room, what are they looking for, um, and, 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 and there's an issue here because these things are being done. Uh, if you put CCTV in a public place for for covert surveillance. Uh, that's uh, I mean the most the sinister way um, of doing it. Uh, ideally, in a democracy, when those things are being done, we need to know who is putting up uh, uh, that CCTV uh, for what purpose, what kind of data they call it, what are they looking for? Uh, because uh, the laws in general, you know, customary uh, international law um, means that these things. Uh, but these activities must be justifiable in a in a in a democracy. Uh, there surely is a purpose. What problem are you trying to uh, to solve? Is it a a problem that society, you know, people would agree that you know if you do that, uh, then you are going to solve that problem? Uh, is it a problem that, uh, as I said earlier, the risk? Uh, why you are because ordinarily people walking in public don't expect someone to be are recording. Uh, their image because of you know that aspect of privacy that I think uh, people call locational privacy. I have the right um, to be anonymous even in a, in a public space as long as I'm not committing a crime. I, I have the right to move freely without being uh, monitored. So I think the starting point is basically uh, for people to start asking those questions uh, to research and find that information. And uh, if it's a government, uh, that's it, putting up all those things. They must, it must be justified in law. Because, uh, as I say, you don't expect ordinary, uh, there's no problem, nothing. Someone just decides that they're going to record a whole block of <coughs> streets, public spaces, where people just basically walk, uh, past, right? It has to be uh, justified. So, you know, that starting point is, uh, you know, for the public, whether organized or individual, to be curious, to investigate, to find out the information. Some of the information is hiding in plain sight, uh, you know, and, and people just need to find it, piece it together. Uh, they must lobby their policymakers to, to ask the right questions to responsible ministries uh, in government uh, to explain uh, those, those kinds of developments. Uh, because at the end of the day, someone has to be accountable. Those are public resources that are being used ostensibly for um, something that is of benefit to, to to the public, and that needs to be justified uh, in a transparent and accountable manner.
So I think I think for me uh, that 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 would be the main thing. But you know, in in this global environment, you know that uh, um, when there's a convergence of powerful interests um, and the technology, uh, you know, you find that these things uh, happen. I think in the digital age, I think the uh, big data, you know, personal information is the is the new oil. That's where um, contestations uh, for power are happening. People want to have this data. So if you look at this technology and where it originates, you will find that you know there are big powers, uh, whether multinational or national, international, uh, that are interested in generating uh, that data because it helps them. I mean, multinationals for for, for profit, uh, whereas other countries just for for security reasons. Um, uh, for predictive analysis, it's for all, all sorts of analysis that can be used. And we need, I think, to identify those power relations and to see what the interests are and how, you know, uh, people's privacy, uh, can be protected while those powers are competing, uh, in that space. Okay. So, uh, this, of course, isn't much of a, uh, conversation without really expanding into, uh, the whole terrain of surveillance. It's not just CCTV. Um, and uh, we are very, very well aware um, uh, in, 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 in public discourse about social media monitoring, especially by governments, uh, but then also quite a lot to do with uh, sort of invasive methods of surveilling um, uh, um, 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 digital devices, so to speak, uh, whether they're employed uh, by uh, partners or uh, uh, friends, colleagues, you know, at, at the individual level, but where also uh, governments seek to monitor um, aspects uh, of this. On one end, um, on one end, we have seen a rise in, disinfo in disinformation and misinformation, which is, uh, which is very true, um, but which has also brought about this era of um, a crackdown on social media based on the excuse that uh, people are perpetuating um, and disinforming their citizenry. And uh, this is a particularly tricky aspect, but I really, really would like to hear from you that um, basing off of everything that you've been seeing in terms of the way CCTV is employed, what can we say about the manner in which um, uh, uh, certain authorities um, may be engaging in social media monitoring. Now, on one particular end, uh, you have the aspect of, of the fact that some of this information is, is uh, public. And if you choose to participate in these particular platforms, that becomes one of those conditions. But there's also some quite intrusive activities which also take place online. And uh, governments, uh, security agencies are finding ways to monitor these particular sources. and. Uh, finding ways to regulate this particular aspect seems to be a gap that is yet to be attended to. We may speak of cybersecurity and in terms of the kind of legislature that should apply in that particular aspect, but zoning in on uh, the monitoring um, seems to be an unfinished conversation. What would you have to say to that? Well, it's a, uh, if you analyze it completely, nobody's hands might be found clean. Uh, you know, amongst uh, you know those who are activists against the such monitoring and those who um, are monitoring, uh, I think to be fair, with the advent of um, of of online, you know, um, 
uh, of online communication. You find that seriously from a from a law enforcement perspective uh, that you know crime is not only now in, in the offline streets; it's also uh, online, right? And so when you talk about the safety or security, uh, you also then talk about online security. Um, and who doesn't want to be to feel secure uh, online? But then of course. Uh, there are also criminals, you know, uh, doing crime on those online uh, streets. So, um, uh, if we expect uh, governments to provide this public good uh, called security, you want them to be uh, patrolling that street um, as well. Uh, but, you know, as with every, you know, uh, potential violation of, of people's rights to freedoms, you know, fundamental freedoms, uh, such as, you know, uh, the right to being left alone. If I'm not committing uh, a crime, uh, if there's no reasonable suspicion that uh, I am committing a crime or I'm about to commit a crime or a crime, uh, whether knowingly or unknowingly is being committed, uh, I should have the right uh, to be left alone. But uh, with social media, uh, it's not only that you know we do socialize online. You know, there are big transactions that are made online companies doing business, you know, people shop on Amazon these days, you can view grocery day, and so on and so on. So this is uh, serious uh, stuff. So um, normally as a, as a rule for me, uh, at a personal level, if, if you want something not to be known, uh, I don't think, uh, uh, you know, online platforms are places where you can hide it. Uh, whether, you know, you have these privacy settings, uh, that uh, you know, social media companies allow you uh, to use, so that you know what you post uh, is only available to a certain group of people uh, that you choose. Uh, still, uh, there is a problem. I mean, if you read the privacy policies of these companies, uh, which often we don't do, uh, but we are surprised uh, afterwards when we find that you know our information is under surveillance, for instance, or. Uh, something has happened with our information is that you know if you read those rules they're very explicit about uh, what those companies do uh, with that information whether in terms of targeted advertising and uh, for the specific discussion that we're having now uh, I was reading one of the social media uh, companies uh, privacy policy and it's very clear that you know, they may uh, share information uh, your private information when um, it's uh, legally required for them to, to share that information with uh, law enforcement for purposes of, um, of security. So these are, these, these are things uh, that are explicitly they are there. And I think for me, uh, some of the shocks that we have is because I think we need uh, 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 media literacy to understand how um, these fears that we play in, in online, how they work, and what the risks are in those spaces. So that you know, when we make decisions about what to share and what not to share, uh, we know what the likely consequences uh, might be. But then of course, you know, uh, there's e-commerce, you know, so this, this is basically for, for business, there are transactions that we use um, online, you know, what you purchase, um, you know, you leave a digital footprint. You know, there's always an evidence, there's a, you know, uh, I think what auditors would call a paper trail uh, in, in the normal course of auditing. Uh, there's a digital trail of all these things. And 
it's not, uh, despite you know encryption and all these engineers who work on these platforms to ensure that you know information is protected. Uh, despite that, there's no guarantees uh, that that information uh, cannot uh, be accessed. So it's the it's the system uh, that is there, uh, and I think we agree that there are certain instances. I think that the issue of balance comes in. There are certain instances where uh, we all agree that you know the, the law enforcement must must follow the digital trail of specific uh, people. The only problem is when it becomes mass surveillance. I think uh, uh, where you know uh, it's as if some everyone is a suspect uh, for, for what you know. So you are collecting people's information with no specific uh, reason to collect it, and it's really difficult. If uh, Edward Snowden had not you know uh, released that you know that that that. Uh, uh, Expose, uh, it would have been a challenge. You know, we can always suspect uh, that something is happening, uh, but you might never know the full extent of what is happening uh, because uh, surveillance, especially covert, uh, you never know if you are not if, if you are being if you are under surveillance unless if you are able to spot uh, the cues that someone is surveilling you. The other thing is that you know, in the course of the police. Genuinely pursuing a specific suspect, uh, other people's rights to privacy are uh, infringed upon without them having done anything wrong. Say, for instance, I was a criminal and I've had contact with you, who is quite clearly a nice guy, not doing any criminal activity. When uh, law enforcement requests my information of who I am talking to, you know, which stakeholders, what are we talking about? You now are included in that whole process, and yet you're not. Um, a suspect. Now they have your information, and who knows where it ends? Because uh, in order to know more information, they might want to dig up more information. Because I'm a, of a, a criminal disposition, why would I be your friend? It might mean that you know maybe uh, you are also engaged in criminal activity. So it um, it is normal uh, that that then happens like that, where you know your information even without you having raised, having done anything that raises suspicion from law enforcement that you are intent on committing a crime or you're committing a crime, uh, will lead to your information being uh, being accessed. So it's, it's, a, it, it's a difficult environment uh, to, uh, to, to draw that line that we're talking about, uh, the balance. Um, and then, uh, it also depends on the context, right? Some, in some uh, contexts, I think the issues around the rule of law uh, are more uh, pronounced, uh, and also rule of law uh, is related to the kind of citizenship that people in that context exercise. So, some in some countries, there's a stronger civil society, there are stronger organizations that uh, can hold governments to account, and those governments are are more amenable. To being held to account. And I'm sure you can raise a strong civil society in a context um, uh, where the government really is more authoritarian. So even if you, um, you lobby, you make noises and everything, they just ignore it and it will end like that. You just be, you know, uh, as they say, you know, just barking at an elephant, but the, a dog barking at an elephant that is just passing by. What is the dog going to do? So you keep on barking. 
uh, without doing anything to the elephant. And the elephant will just do what it wants or move where it wants. So uh, context uh, becomes um, an issue. So it's, 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 all these debates are mired uh, in all these uh, controversies and contradictions. Thank you so much for your time. I, it, it really has been a pleasure hosting you for this episode. And of course, we look forward to continuing the conversation as far as uh, um, how state security agencies, the police and intelligence services make use of surveillance and other monitoring mechanisms in the future.